Oh, guys, do I have a show for you. Today I'm interviewing my birth doula, Allie. She is one half of the hot new podcast, Birth Queens. She is a postpartum and birth doula, although primarily birth. And she is also a maternity birth and family photographer in San Diego. And yes, there is a little baby on my lap, but just for this intro. So don't worry, you won't be distracted by her adorable little sounds for any longer than just this moment. Um, But anyways, Allie is awesome. This podcast is awesome. We're talking all about birth, realistic expectations, C-sections, epidurals, postpartum, VBACs, all of the things. Also, I totally lose it at one point. So I did my best to edit out the sobbing without losing the integrity of the moment. And before we get started, I do just want to let you know that I am aware that my sound is a little funky. Her sound is totally perfect and she's doing most of the talking. So we're good there. My sound's just a little quieter than her. I guess I'm still working out the whole how do you podcast thing. Um, So I do apologize for that, but you should be able to hear everything. Anyways, I hope you enjoy this fabulous show. Let's get started. Welcome to Non-Toxic Pursuits, a show for chemically conscious babes to learn from experts and peers about non-toxic lifestyle and holistic wellness topics. I'm your host, Laura Ellers, nutritionist and health coach for The Chemically Conscious and founder of laurasnaturallife.com. Now on to the show. Hey everyone, welcome back. Today's guest is Allie Farrow, and I have been literally wanting her on the podcast since... I basically, since I started the podcast, when I met her in March, yeah, it was March. Anyways, Allie was my birth doula and basically one of the coolest humans ever. So she's a birth and postpartum doula, although now I think she's pretty much mostly doing births. She's attended about 160 in a, a little over four years, and she has experienced everything from planned home births to planned C-sections and so much in between. She's also a super talented photographer, and you can find her on Instagram at Ali Farrow Photography. I will definitely link all of her um, her Instagrams and her websites down below in the show notes, but she mainly does birth maternity and family photography. And she has a new podcast out called birth Queens. That's Queens K W E E N S. And guys, if that doesn't give you a snapshot of her personality, I don't know what is welcome Allie. I'm so glad you're here. Oh, thank you. Thank you for that wonderful introduction. I'm so excited to be doing this with you. I know it's been, it's been months in the making. It's so weird. I actually realized, and I know for you guys listening, we we are pre-recording this, so this will be pretty obvious to you. But I realized yesterday, I have officially been postpartum longer than I was pregnant now. <laughs> like, what? You hit that mark a little earlier than most people, right? I know, but like, that's how long I've known you. It's so right? weird. You go way back. Way back. It's amazing how you get close with people quickly when you see a baby come out of their body, you know? It's really bonds you. It really does. And <laughs> or when you invite somebody into that space, I should say. Yeah. And there's a question that I have later on for you that I know people are worried about, but I have to say, if you pick the right doula, she's going to be your bestie. She's <laughs> nothing to worry about. So... I just want you to introduce yourself to everyone. Um, let us know. Some people don't know what a doula is and how is it different than a midwife and all that good jazz. 
Yes. Great question. Just kind of the basics. I feel like, so I've been doing this, like you said, four and a half years or so. And I still, doulas are becoming more and more popular, but most of the time when I am talking to people and they ask what I do and I tell them, I'm like, I just kind of go from, I'm a doula. Most people don't know what that is. That is a, you know, assume that nobody knows what it is. Um, So a doula is a person who is a source of emotional, physical, educational support for a birthing woman and her family continuously throughout pregnancy, labor, birth, and the early postpartum period. So we are non-medical support. And the goal of a doula is really to fill in the gap that exists between a birthing family and the medical system, because there is a lot of room for support in that space between. So we're really there to bridge the gap between the family and the medical system. Um, and a midwife, a lot of people do the other, the other day I had, I told somebody I was a doula. I did my whole, like, it's okay. Most people don't know what that is. And she was like, is that like a housewife? I was like, oh, <laughs> a little different. You mean a midwife? <laughs> Different than both of those things. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's um, good. So a midwife is a fully trained medical care provider. So they are different from an OBGYN in that OBGYNs are surgeons and they are trained in high risk um, pregnancy, gynecological issues. So they can do surgical interventions. Midwives are care providers that are fully trained in healthy, low-risk, normal birth. And a doula could work with either of those type of providers, right? Yes, that's exactly right. I think another very common misconception, if somebody does know what a doula is, is the assumption that, oh, that's just for people who are having unmedicated births or people who are having home births. And absolutely not. My job as a doula is to support women in every birthing situation. Like you mentioned, I've done home births, I've done C-sections, everything in between, because really it's about education, making sure a woman is supported and a woman and her family are supported and informed every step of the way, no matter where or how that baby comes out. We're babies. Yeah. And I know a lot of people say that I know I'm going to have to get a C-section or I want a C-section or I want Mm -hmm. the epidural immediately. Yeah. And so we still could use you. Absolutely. And what about, I know you've done this and, and it just popped into my mind, but what about if somebody's a surrogate? Yeah. In that role, how are you there for all parts or are you mainly there for the pregnant woman or are you mainly there for the adoptive or the parents who are having the baby? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a really good question. Um, so all of the above. Primarily, my goal is to help with education ahead of time. So a big part, I've done a lot of work as a volunteer doula, which is like walking in when a woman is, you know, in the midst of labor and meeting them then. Um, But mostly in my private practice as a doula, almost all of the work gets done in my meetings ahead of time with people. So education, talking through concerns, building rapport, and all of that would be the same with a surrogate and the intended parents. So talking about their specific goals for the birth, the roles of every person, where that baby's going to go when they come out, um, mm-hmm. to you know which person or which parent, 
And, and then I think a unique thing about surrogate births, and I don't have a ton of experience with this, but um, in the few that I've, that I do have experience with is that as soon as that baby is out, it is usually going to one of the intended or the intended parent or parents. Um, and so helping make sure that the birthing woman doesn't feel forgotten or alone after she's just done this incredible thing for this other family. Um, because if you're birthing your own baby, you can still feel that way. Like, oh my God, all the attention is on this baby now, but at least the baby's on me or with me or it's my baby. Um, So I think that's an important and kind of unique consideration for surrogacy. Definitely. And, and I obviously didn't have this situation, but I did have the situation where the baby wasn't with me. Yeah. And I think that happens probably a lot with C-sections too, because Right? Wouldn't the woman need to go to recovery and the baby would go elsewhere? So, um, not depends. necessarily. Not necessarily. So, if you know, I'm I'm very well versed in our kind of local. I don't know if we mentioned this yet, but I live in San Diego, which maybe your listeners know. That's where you were when you had Sweet Elliot when you were here. On the- <laughs> Um, so I'm of course well versed in the practices of all of our local hospitals, um, but. So this, you know, depends on the area you live in. But if you have, uh, if if you and your baby are both healthy and everybody's doing fine, there's no reason you should be separated from your baby after birth, even if you have a cesarean. So that is something for, if the practice, the standard practice of your local hospital, your practitioner is that your baby comes out and usually after a cesarean baby comes out, they go to, um, and this is, again, this is if baby is healthy and no medical intervention is needed. They go to the little warmer in the room, in the operating room next to mom and they get dried off. They make sure breathing is fine. Like a few minutes later, that baby should be skin to skin on you or in your partner's arms who is sitting right next to the birthing woman. Interesting. Yeah. And so then does typically just for basically my own curiosity, (laughs) I'd never experienced this, but then does, so does the baby go to the recovery room in your experience then too? Yes. So it should. Um, A lot of times what happens just as kind of a practical logistical thing, if, um, more and more in San Diego, we are having OBs and anesthesiologists support babies doing skin to skin with mom in the operating room. Mm-hmm. If your anesthesiologist tells you that that is not possible, that is not true. <laughs> Look up family-centered cesarean, gentle cesarean. Um, and I, I want to go on record early here and say I am not anti-intervention. I am not, I don't hate doctors. I am so glad we have every resource and tool that we do in maternity care everything from home birth midwives to high-risk perinatologists. Um, But more and more research is showing that babies do better when they are skin-to-skin with their their parent, Mm -hmm. ideally the birthing woman, but their parent um, after birth. So if somebody is telling you, oh, you, you know, there's too many wires or cords or it's just not logistically possible in the operating room, no way. I've seen it. Um, that being said, if a mom doesn't feel, sometimes anesthesia makes you feel really icky or shaky, or Mm -hmm. you don't feel up for it. That's okay too. Your partner can hold your baby right next to your face, sitting, you know, in the OR with you. So unless that baby needs extra medical care, it should be on you or in your partner's arms. 
Um, sometimes if the baby is on the birthing mom skin to skin, when they go, cause there's a transition that needs to be made, like moving her from the operating table to a gurney to get her to recovery. A lot of times we'll move the baby, you know, somebody will hold the baby then, mm -hmm. but, um, everybody, mom, baby, partner, hopefully doula is in the OR too, um, should go to recovery together. Awesome. I, that actually, that really surprises me. I just didn't know that. That's so cool. And I hope yeah. that helps other people know that that's even possible. Yes. So, a big thing for me is like a cesarean birth or a C-section is still a birth. It's still your baby's birth. Yeah. And there are a lot of little things you can do to make it feel that way. Definitely. So one thing I think is super interesting about you is that of all the doulas I interviewed, which was a lot back in Wisconsin before okay. I met you. That's so right. Because you had a doula all set up. Yeah. A series of like amazing connections, which uh -huh. is how I met you, but um, and I knew you were the one instantly. <laughs> but everyone that I met had kids. And mm -hmm. so if you don't mind, I would love for you to share why you became a doula. Yes, I don't mind at all because I don't have kids. I'm, um, and I'm always, people are like, do you mind if we talk about like, yes, I'm full disclosure. I'm 28. I'm not married. I have no kids. And I fell in love with birth work when I was fresh out of college. Um, like, so I graduated from college. I went to USD in San Diego and I was sitting on my couch watching Netflix, looking for a job, just like eating snacks like you do when you're, when you don't want to move home after college. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> and I watched the documentary, the business of being born, which I don't, I can't remember if you've, yeah, yeah, yeah. You've seen. um, it was done. I believe it came out in 06 by Ricky Lake and Abby Epstein. And it's just a documentary about the state of maternity care in America. And it really, I was watching, I watched it and I was like, pissed like why isn't anyone talking about this like most people are having babies and it just points out how America's maternity care outcomes for moms and babies are not great we're spending more money than almost any other maybe any other western nation and our outcomes are worse than that of some third world countries like it's really crazy we have um, a crazy high c-section rate and a bunch of other things so I, the next day after I watched that, went and picked up a book. I went to Barnes and Noble and like sat on the floor in the birth section and um, started reading a book by Ina Mae Gaskin, who oh, yeah. is also, right, a name that everybody, a, a lot of people know in, in the birthy world. Um, but she's a midwife and is kind of the mother of natural birth. Um, and I just fell in love. Like I started, I think I was highlighting that book before I purchased it. So <laughs> which is inappropriate. I don't recommend it. Um, and over, I did find a job luckily shortly thereafter, but over the course of about a year, year and a half, I just couldn't get enough information and was the weirdo, like 22 year old watching birth videos on YouTube in her free time. <laughs> Who does that? Um, me. And I just fell in love. So I have, that was like four and a half years ago, or that, that was about six years ago that I watched that documentary. And I spent about a year, year and a half, like reading and learning everything and get my hands on, found out what a doula was in that time, and then started as a volunteer at a birth center in town. Awesome. And I don't know, I'll edit this out if you're not okay with me sharing this, That's but okay. <laughs> I, one thing you told me is after 
far after everything. Uh Um, you know, and the birth was long past and there was nothing to worry about in terms of that. You know, we shared a couple of scary things that happened. Um, and you said, well, this is why I do this. I do it for you. Your baby's cute and everything, but I don't do it for your baby. I do it for you. (laughs) Yes. I love, I love the babies and it's kind of my only edit to that would be, this is every birth that I go to, it is that baby's only chance to be born. So my job is to make that baby's birth, um, not to make it one way or the other, because there is so much about birth that we don't have control over when Mm -hmm. it comes to everything. (laughs) Yes, Right. You know this more than anyone. Um, We actually, my podcast that you mentioned earlier, Birth Queens, we just recorded or recently recorded an episode that's going to be released soon about having realistic expectations for birth and what we do control, what we can control and what we can't and how to reduce birth trauma by knowing those things ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yes, your babies are cute, but this, and I love to snuggle them so much and kiss their little face, um, but it's their <laughs> only chance to be born and it is your only chance to give birth to this baby, whatever that looks like. So I want to... I love the look in a woman's eye when she, after she knows that she's done it, you know, and that does it, whether it's on the living room floor or on the operating room table and she's holding her baby. Um, when that baby lands on your chest, that is what matters, no matter how that baby comes out. And I want women to feel, (laughs) (laughs) we're both going to start crying. (laughs) I want women to feel loved and supported continuously throughout that process, no matter what. Well, oh my God, Allie. <laughs> oh gosh, you guys, live crying fest here on the podcast. I love it. <laughs> and I would say that you totally did that for us. Birth is, I love it because it gets to the, it's, it's like you're in the stuff of life, right? This is the stuff that matters and it is, yeah. um, I just, I love being, I think it is such an honor to be invited into that space and to help usher in a new human being to this planet and to see how that impacts the people who love that baby. Um, I always, (laughs) I always joke that like, you know how a lot of people ask partners, especially men, did you cry or are you going to cry? You know, the ones who cry the most are like my big buff Navy sobbing. <laughs> yeah. And it's the best because it's just, it'll take you to your knees. You might as well go willingly. Right. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. And I was one of those people who thought like I was going to learn everything and because I knew everything it was going to be perfect. Like mm-hmm. everything was going to go smoothly because that was normal. And right. I knew everything and I knew what to avoid. <laughs> You're like, and this is how I deal with the rest of my life. Like when I know stuff, yeah. I make things happen. Yeah. And you literally have no idea what's going to happen, which is probably really scary to hear if you're pregnant and you've never experienced it before. But I think that's the, like a really good reason to have a doula. Yes. For when those unexpected things do happen. Yeah. Right. We, uh, you can't earn or study your way to any specific birth outcome. So there is 
um, I think one of, I love natural birth, obviously, right? You know, this is my jam, but one of the, I should say, I love birth in general. A lot of doulas get into birth because of the goal and desire to support lower intervention birth or natural birth. And I am absolutely part of that. But I think that one of the real downsides of the natural birth movement is um, this idea, kind of a morality attached to a birth outcome so that you are Mm -hmm. better or worse for having had a baby in a certain way. Yes. I like it's BS because you can't study or earn your way to like a glorious natural birth or even a plan C section. I just was talking to somebody the other day who two people in her family had planned cesareans and they they went into spontaneous labor and their babies came before they could have a plan C section. So wow. yeah, I, I knew someone like that too. And, right? and it, it was too fast for her to even get an epidural. And she was like, yeah. Wow. Yes. And that can be just as, for some people, that is their dream. Like too fast to get the epidural. That's exactly what I want. Other people, that's very traumatizing. So there's no right way to have a baby or no wrong way to have a baby. Um, There, when I sit down and meet with people in the beginning, I explain the three pillars to setting yourself up for success for this experience that you will ultimately have to surrender to, right? Surrender or be dragged. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Everything to say. Um, And those three pillars are number one, choosing a good care provider and a good birthplace that support evidence based care that are not going to use interventions unless they are medically necessary. Um, that, you know, the things that go into that decision are a mom's risk level. You well know, like if you were, you were at a high risk hospital with the great NICU, but that's because that's exactly where you needed to be. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's a big one. The second one is getting educated. So even though you can't learn or think your way to and through birth. (laughs) Um, Just like you can't for moms. I have a mom right now who's like a week overdue and she's, if she could think her way into labor. Yeah. (laughs) A couple days ago. Um, But you need knowledge as a foundation. And then your birth team or your support. So getting a good doula to support you through the process and deciding who am I going to invite family and friend wise who am I not going to invite? <laughs> um, <laughs> this is not a spectator sport. And most of the time it goes better, the fewer people that are there. So those are kind of the three pillars. And then if you have that as your foundation, whatever comes up in your birth, you just surrender, you trust the process and you make one decision at a time. That's so good. So I know what your sort of package is. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had a couple of prenatal meetings. We may have had more than you do with other clients. I'm not sure. <laughs> um, right. I mean, maybe a little more. I don't know. <laughs> My but, package is like, what does each family need? Let's just like meet okay. where they're at. But okay. yeah, yeah that's good. Well, that's good. Um, <laughs> so how does kind of, at least when I first, when we first met, and actually even before that with the dual I had lined up here, I was like, what exactly are we going to talk about in these appointments? Like, I know what I want. <laughs> I did. I did. I, I knew yeah. what I wanted. And, <laughs> but then there's the whole, like, making sure we're friends. So it's not weird when I'm naked and like totally. the partner fitting into that. Just so it's not like, a, how is it 
how do you make it so it's not weird, basically? Yeah. And I would attest that it was not weird at all. And like, <laughs> there, I mean, it theoretically it's weird, right? Like you're naked or mm-hmm. mostly naked um, right. if you're vaginally delivering. Yeah. And literally a human is coming out of you as well as some other body fluids. <laughs> like, yeah. A lot of stuff comes out that isn't a, a baby. Yeah. There's a, I mean, there's a lot of things happening. A lot of things. Yep. But like, I didn't feel like it was awkward that you were there. Good. I felt like it was essential that you were there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Amazing. Um, I think that, well, for me, a huge part of that is building that rapport with people ahead of time. So sitting down and making sure that's why I tell people in, even when I'm interviewing with somebody, I like to encourage people to interview a number of people, at least three, just to get a feel for who's the best fit and what your choices are. Um, and actually when I'm talking to people about who to invite to their birth, aside from their doula, like family, friends, whatever, I kind of joke, but I'm serious about it. When I say, I want you to make a list of the people that you are comfortable seeing you naked on all fours, making large mammal noises. (laughs) And I want you to like, who's on that list? Like really think about that. Yeah. Yeah. Like nobody. Great. Then let's just do the essentials. Yes. Nobody. Um, Cause it's so vulnerable. So my birth is about safety and for the, you know, not just like medically safe and, and, the care providers, yes, their job is keeping you and baby medically safe. My job as a doula is emotional safety and, and holding that safe space for people. So that rapport is built ahead of time. And then labor, if people are worried about that, I do often talk with people about what are your preferences around what to wear during labor? Is it more important to you to be kept covered if and when possible? And I will do my best to facilitate that. And I've had a couple moms that really did like were clothed the whole time. And of mm-hmm. course, like the doctor, <laughs> and you know, a few people saw as the baby was coming yeah. out, but she really wanted that privacy. And I don't respect that. Um, most of the time. So labor has this beautiful way of taking all of your attention and really <laughs> nailing you to the present moment. Um, and you don't have have a lot of mental bandwidth left to worry about what is covered and what is not for most people. Mm -hmm. So I, um, actually my best, my best friend, I've been her doula at two of her births and she, we joke all the time. Like she feels naked when she's wearing shorts and a t-shirt. Like she'd rather no one ever see her naked. (laughs) And she was in both of her labors. was like, I just, I don't, you don't care. You just want to have your baby. So, um, Yes, that's kind of my the the short answer to I guess what was it when you think back to having a relative stranger walk into your birth space, what was it that helped make that not feel weird? I feel like at that point you weren't a stranger. Yeah. Just that report yeah. ahead of time. Yeah, you weren't a stranger at that point. And well, this is very situational to us, but like we had that sort of fire drill. The few did, days before yeah. where we were like, okay, well, it's go time. Yeah. And then, so it was kind of like we practiced. We did. Yep. And then there was like, and I wasn't worried during that either, that anything was going to be weird or, or anything like that. But then just when it really was time to have the baby, I, there was no worry at all that anything bad was going to happen. 
between like that it was going to be awkward or anything. And I would say kind of like how labor takes over your whole brain. Mm -hmm. Like I had almost every single thing that I never wanted that I was scared of. Like I had the HEPLOC. Mm-hmm. I had the monitoring. I was in a bet, like every single thing that I was like, I'm not doing that. And I didn't even notice any of it. Could yeah. not have cared at all. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that helps people or not, but then again, mine was also really short. So who knows? Like if I'd have been there yeah. for days, maybe I would have cared. Totally. It's everybody is a little bit different. And all of those interventions are things like, let's use them when we need them. Nothing is categorically bad or should be ruled out. Um, I think that a big part, because I was just thinking as you were talking, it was the rapport and maybe just knowing when people know, like, this is my job. I couldn't, <laughs> I've seen 160, whatever births yeah. and I couldn't pick anyone's vagina out of a lineup. Like, like I, li- like I literally just puked in a bag that you were holding. Yeah. Which I still like, can't, can't even <laughs> handle that you did that. Like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> you know, what's funny. I didn't, I would not have remembered that until you just said it. <laughs> well, I'm sorry for reminding you that. <laughs> no, it's okay. Cause it's part of it. It's just like, that is how I've, this is about mothering the mother, right? And nurturing the birthing woman. And sometimes that means holding a bag so she can barf into it. And that's okay. <laughs> um, oh, don't you all want to be doulas now? <laughs> guys, there's so many neat bodily fluids you could get on your own body. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, you know, what's funny. I was the kid that could not even talk or think about blood I was so worried when I was growing up, like the thought of throwing up made me so anxious that I would make myself throw up. Like I would make myself sick. I saw my mom have a baby on accident when I was 14. And I was like, <laughs> she's a very efficient birther. You guys an accident. Right <laughs> um, and I was like, that's a horrifying nightmare. I'm never doing that. Um, yeah, and here now, look at you. <laughs> I love my job so much. So <laughs> Isn't that funny? Happen. Isn't that funny though? Like just Mm -hmm. the things, this is kind of a tangent, but I was listening to a podcast yesterday and it referenced a book and I forget the name, but I think it was like a thousand faces of heroes or something like that. Mm -hmm. And it was like in every hero's journey, it was about mythology and then like applying it to like healing. Mm -hmm. Everyone to become a hero has to confront their biggest fear. Yes. So... I feel like birth is a place that happens a lot. That is <laughs> Whether you're witnessing or doing. <laughs> right, witnessing, doing. And I, I talk to a lot of people about their... I talk to all my moms about what are your fears? Is there a thing... Like if I have a woman who says, no matter what, like I do not... I will not have a C-section, no matter what. Like, okay, let's talk about that. What what is what's What's behind that for you? Because life has life and birth have a beautiful way of teaching us the lessons we need to be taught. I think you can attest to that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Right. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, I like to try to dive into that stuff because there is no wrong way to have a baby. And I think I might've told you this. I don't remember, but like, I don't have kids. Like I told you guys, but if, and when I do ever have babies, I am under like, I know that it doesn't matter how many births I will have attended at that point, it will rock my world. 
And Mm -hmm. just because I've been to a lot of natural births doesn't mean I'll get to have one of those. Um, because it's about that baby and that pregnancy and all of the factors that come together to influence a birth. So just got to go with it. Yeah, that's such good advice. So what are some things that a doula can do before or during the birth to help the birthing woman and the partner and whoever else is involved, the intended parents, et cetera? Mm-hmm. Uh, so a big part, well, ahead of time in the meetings that I have with my families. We talk about all the practical stuff. I, I try to make it review of like stages of labor, comfort measures. And I say review because my goal is that people have taken a class before mm-hmm. I get to them or or before we have that meeting. And I'm there are always exceptions to that rule. Sometimes when you're, you know, stuck in a hospital on bed rest, you can't take a class, right? <laughs> Um, or people have done a lot of research on their own or whatever, but um, there needs to be some kind of educational foundation because I am not a childbirth educator. And mm-hmm. I didn't used to be so kind of staunch on that, but I've just found that my moms and families that get educated have better outcomes. So um, in our meetings together, we review and go over the stages and phases of labor and kind of the practical stuff like what it will look and sound or what it often looks and sounds like as labor's picking up. Um, things like she'll probably start moaning and making those large mammal noises I mentioned earlier. She won't think your jokes are funny, like all those little things. Um, and then we talk about comfort measures. So low moans, massage, position changes that can help water, bath, bath shower, whatever. Um, and then in during the birth, I'm there to remind a family of when to use what tool if they need that reminder. Um, sometimes there are, you know, every birth, I think my role is a little bit different. Sometimes it's kind of standing back. If a mom and a partner or mom birthing woman and whoever she has there, they're rocking it. And I'm just there to like remind them to eat and drink and maybe make a few suggestions. Great. Other times it's both the partner and I super hands-on with comfort measures. Um, So it's just having somebody there with you every step of the way to personalize all the tools that you've gathered in your prenatal process to personalize that stuff to you and help you know when to do what. Awesome. And I had a question from the Facebook group and you guys, if you're not in the Facebook group, I do ask before I record podcasts with our experts for your, your questions. And a question that came up was, do you have any advice for moms who are facing the decision to try for a vaginal birth after having a cesarean? And I would jump off on that and say, really any tips for subsequent births after a traumatic birth or pregnancy experience? Yes, this is such a good question. And unfortunately, something that many, many women have experienced, birth trauma, whether it was through a cesarean or not. Um, And so one of the biggest things that helps with this is getting support, ideally before you get pregnant again, but it doesn't necessarily have to be the case. Um, therapy. There's um, a a method of therapy called EMDR, which is becoming more and more well-known and is really great at uh, helping with resolving trauma or helping people work through trauma. It's something that's used for people with PTSD and not just in the birth field, but Mm -hmm. um, I've had a lot of women use that. And again, this, 
um, VBAC is a VBAC meaning a vaginal birth after cesarean <clears throat> is a special topic. And not all women that had to have, that have cesareans are traumatized by them. I think sometimes Mm-hmm. Uh, C-sections are such a, a touchy, fiery, can be such a fiery subject because there's so much emotion wrapped up in that a lot of time. So I like to go on record and say, having a C-section is not bad. And just because somebody had one doesn't mean they had a traumatic experience. Um, but if you did have a cesarean and you did have trauma from it, the EMDR therapy can be a great resource um, there are VBAC specifically, there are some great online resources, um, a website called VBAC facts. So unfortunately, a lot of providers in this country are not practicing evidence-based care around vaginal birth after cesarean. And what I mean by that is that there's a belief and sometimes a practice that once you've had a C-section, that means the rest of the babies you have are going to be born by cesarean. And that is not necessarily the case. And it's, uh, people will say, well, it's because it's too dangerous to have a VBAC. No, <laughs> not most of the time it is not most, excuse me, most of the time, if you have had, especially just one cesarean, it is more risky to you to have another a repeat cesarean than it is to try for a vaginal delivery. So get your, yeah, a lot of people talk about uterine rupture as, and there is a higher chance of something called uterine rupture when you've had a cesarean before, but the chances of that after one cesarean with the particular kind of incision, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of little things that go into this. um, It's still safer to attempt a VBAC or have a VBAC in most cases. So get educated. There is the VBAC facts, improvingbirth.org is a great website. Um, and then there's, oh, ICANN, the International Cesarean Awareness Network. That is kind of similar to La Leche League in the sense that there are local chapters. So you could try to find a, your local chapter of ICANN. And in that, um, I know in San Diego, we have uh, an ICANN Facebook group. There are VBAC support Facebook groups. So much of the support these days is digital. There are a ton of birthy podcasts that I found <laughs> with, um, um, including birth queens, <laughs> queens, the birth queens. Um, but where, where people talk about VBACs. So get support, get educated, and then find a good provider who is going to practice evidence-based support, I think, or evidence-based care. I think that that is, God, maybe the number one uh, deciding factor, or one of the most impactful things for uh, a woman who wants to have a VBAC is, is your provider. Gonna, and there's a difference between a VBAC tolerant provider and one that puts a lot of stipulations on like, sure, you can have a VBAC if you go into spontaneous labor by 39 weeks. And if your labor is less than 12 hours, like some very unrealistic <laughs> expectations and then a VBAC supportive provider. So on those websites that I, <clears throat> that I mentioned, there are some great articles about interview questions to ask providers when you're looking for a VBAC supportive midwife or doctor. Awesome. Thank you so much for all that information. So a lot of us uh, more natural birthers, like who want that, Uh make some birth plans, right? 
And <laughs> as a doula, how do you feel about birth plans? Do you think just, yeah, give me your opinion on, on birth plans. <laughs> My thoughts about the old birth plan. Um, oh, what a, what a big subject. So many thoughts. Um, <laughs> number one, you can't plan a birth. So the idea that you can, I think we've, we've addressed that a lot in this podcast already, mm-hmm. but um, I like to call, I, I think that having a document, a short one page, like a couple of bullet points about the things that are most important to you can be very valuable. Um, I like to call them birth preferences. And they, it is kind of the things that, hey, if everything is going well, mom and baby are healthy, these are the things that are most important to us. Because the purpose of that document is to communicate in a respectful, concise way with your care providers or your care team. Um, hey guys, like the, I have a little sample that I send to my families if they want to use it. And at the top, it's like, thanks for being part of our birth team. Like, we're glad you're here. And here's a couple of things that are most important to us. If a change of plans is necessary, we just ask, you know, to really have informed consent and have everything explained to us well so that we can make decisions every step of the way as much as possible. Um, So birth plans, not so much. Birth goals, birth preferences, great. I'm in. Love it. Yeah. I love it. Would you be able to share a little bit of light on advantages and disadvantages of each birth venue, whether it be home, birth center, or hospital? Or does it just totally depend on like your region of the country and, and whatever is available to you? Yes and yes. <laughs> um, so the kind of three main choices for where to give birth in in Amer- in most parts of America today are hospital, obviously, um, a birth a freestanding birth center, meaning a place that you go that isn't attached to a hospital but that is staffed by um, midwives typically. And then a home birth where you would have, um, there are, you know, people that have unassisted births at home, but for the purposes of this podcast, the, um, you'd have a, a trained midwife or birth attendant attend a birth at home. So risk level for each woman uh, determines a lot. So if you are high risk, you need to be in a hospital or you, you know, you sh- there, there probably will not be a midwife who will attend you at home. There shouldn't be if you're high risk. Um, so that's the first thing. Another big thing, and, you know, I forget this sometimes because in San Diego, we have so many choices for birth centers and home birth midwives and hospitals that are even really supportive of natural birth. And, um, but where you're located and if you even have, freestanding birth centers nearby or home birth midwives that practice. Sadly, there are still a couple of states in America where it is, it's not illegal to have a home birth. It is illegal for a trained birth attendant to attend your birth. Interesting. Yes. I believe, I don't know if there's been a recent change on this. I know it used to be the case in Alabama. So what that means is that in order for you to have a safe home birth, a midwife would have to practice illegally. So it, you know, essentially rendering home birth illegal, um, which really makes me rage. Um, but the, so after risk level and what your choices are, geographically speaking, insurance or the ability to afford some of those out of hospital options is a big one. 
unfortunately, insurance companies often don't cover home births or birth center births, which is just so, I would like to say like so confusing because it would, it's so much cheaper for them, but really it's, you know, there's so much going on behind the scenes with (laughs) who makes the decisions on what's covered. But, um, generally a lot of people have to pay cash for home birth or birth centers. I know in San Diego, a home birth runs about five grand. Um, and that's for all of your prenatal care, your birth and your postpartum care where they come to the midwives, come to your home 24 hours after I think day three, day five and day seven. Um, and then you get a two week visit and a six week visit. That's kind of the general thing from home birth midwives. So you're getting a lot more care for a lot less money. Mm-hmm. Um, so then the other thing is, is what is each I mean, maybe this should have been at the top of the list, but what does each woman and each family want? Where do you feel safest for some women that is absolutely in a hospital? Maybe that's in an operating room for other women. They feel safest at home. So think about that. And then if you want meds, you know, you can't, some birth centers, I think offer nitrous oxide. I know none in San Diego do, but generally speaking, if you're picking a home birth or a birth center, um, you don't have any pharmaceutical aids available to you for labor. Um, I'm glad you mentioned nitrous oxide because I, I don't think very many people in America know about it. Yeah. Or really have access to it. Yes. I know I learned about it probably about week 20. (laughs) And then I saw my midwife and I was like, I really want nitrous oxide. Is this possible? And she was like, it's honestly my life goal to get it in our hospital. We have home birth or I'm sorry. We don't have, no scratch that. We have water birth. The Mm -hmm. other hospital does not have water birth, but they allow nitrous. But for whatever reason, we both yeah. can't have both. It's not rude. How rude. So rude and so stupid. <laughs> so stupid. And I even like, I would have, I think I would have liked that anyway, I think. Right? I think. Yeah. I think it would have been a great middle ground. It is. And so just for people who don't know what we're talking about, um, nitrous oxide, that thing that they can get that in America, a lot of people get at the dentist is a tool that is used for pain management in a lot of other Western countries. So, and actually just a lot of places in general during labor. So at Canada, the UK, throughout Europe, they use it all the time. And it is a fast acting, short lasting pain management option that doesn't reach the baby. Studies show um, that unlike if you use narcotic meds that get into your bloodstream and can get to the baby, Um, nitrous, you start breathing it, it works within about 30 seconds. When you stop breathing it, it's out of your system about 30 seconds later. So it isn't, I know it's great. It isn't going to take all of the sensations away. You know, after, um, you get an epidural, most epidurals that work really well, you don't feel much. Um, you'll still feel pressure, especially, and, and sometimes during pushing, you can start to have sensations come back, but, Generally speaking, epidurals take away all most of the sharp sensations and pain. Um, the nitrous dulls it and makes it more manageable. So we have one hospital in San Diego that offers it. And it's so crazy that we don't have more because it's such a low risk, easy tool to use. So 
I'd also imagine that it's pretty cheap. Right? Which maybe that's the problem. You know, yeah, it's the same like why don't why don't insurance companies cover doulas because they improve outcomes, yeah. reduce the amount of meds. We're a lot less expensive than any anesthesiologist placing an epidural. Not to say that there are births where you have both, right? Like I said, but yes. my birth um, I had both. <laughs> exactly. We are talking to somebody right here who has had both. Right here, um, guys. <laughs> and you know what? I would say I don't think I would want an epidural again. I would, uh-huh. I would want to try to avoid it again, personally, myself. However, in my birth with Elliot, I think it was great. Like, yeah. it made my experience so much better just because I needed to be able to not feel horrible and to be joyful because it was such a scary, potentially scary moment. Totally. And between that and having you there, and I really felt like you made her birth an actual party it wasn't scary at all was, I mean a little bit like when she was coming out and we were like none of us had ever seen a two-pound baby let's be real mm-hmm. that yeah. was and I think you guys knew this but that's she was the tiniest baby I've ever seen born hopefully that will remain will forever be the yes baby you've ever seen born. I but <laughs> but I mean you really made it a party for us like we had so much fun oh. I really thought my birth was a lot of fun so I love that. I love yeah, that. I I couldn't it couldn't have been better minus maybe the parts after when she came out. <laughs> right. Yeah. So the actual birth was fantastic. That's amazing. And a lot of people you know when you're hiring doulas and and looking for the person that's right for you, that's going to be different for every family and somebody who's going to like make jokes at their birth and, and lighten the mood isn't right for everybody. I'm yeah. not right for everybody. Um, but if that's what you're looking for. That's what well, you're looking for. And you're in San Diego. Hire Allie. Sure yes. <laughs> so another question posed in the Facebook group that I know I had was mm-hmm. I knew I was having a hospital birth, but I, I did want to diminish the amount of interventions that weren't necessary. I knew I'd have some probably necessary ones. Um, How do you make your wishes known and, you know, make sure you aren't getting unnecessary interventions that you don't want? Great question. So this comes back down to having a good care provider who isn't going to suggest things that aren't necessary. And then having a doula. So when you walk into the hospital and you have your little um, sheet of birth preferences, um, anything that is suggested or that is um, proposed, hopefully it is being suggested instead of being said, and this is what we're doing. Now we're doing this because you're here having a baby in our hospital. So, you know, everybody gets the IV or everybody has to stay in bed on the monitors. Um, Hopefully, if you have a good provider that doesn't that practices evidence-based care, those things aren't even going to be suggested to you unless they are medically necessary, which is why I come back to that so much is like, do your research. And if you're not sure, I know that the idea of, well, how do you find a care provider who practices evidence-based care in your community? Like, you don't know what you don't know. Maybe you don't know what questions to ask. Before you pick a doctor, or if you have one and you're trying to decide whether to stay with that provider, doctor or midwife, contact doulas and childbirth educators in your community and ask them who they recommend and who they don't recommend. Um, Ooh, that's good. 
Yeah. Because there are some people in this town that I would not send my dog to. And, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and I might not, you know, and if I got an email or when I get emails from people like, who are the great, who should I go to or who shouldn't I see? I am much more, none of us, or I was going to say, none of us want to like talk crap about providers, hopefully. Yeah. Um, and that's not my goal, but I will give, I, I tell people if they ask, like, these are the people you want to go see. So the doulas are the ones like boots on the ground in your community that are going to know. Um, and then having your doula or your person there with you so that they can remind you of questions to ask in the moment. And all of that knowledge that you gathered ahead of time, and you, you know, you still have that foundation of the things you learned in your classes and hopefully with your doula ahead of time. Um, so that most of the things that happen or that are suggested won't seem unfamiliar Mm-hmm. And then if a, if an intervention is suggested and it is needed that you can feel like, okay, this is the time that we need to do this thing. And I feel prepared to move forward and, um, and do that. And then don't be afraid to, this is silly, but like the brain acronym, whenever anything is suggested, what are the benefits? What are the risks? What are the alternatives? Um, what's my intuition say? What's my gut say? And the N is now. Do we need to do anything now or can we wait a little bit longer? And unless it is one of the very rare cases where this is a life-threatening emergency for mom or baby and we're acting now to save your life, you always have time to ask those questions. Mm -hmm. Yes. So good. Thank you for that. I actually just had a question pop into my brain, which is, are doulas great to have for subsequent births that are seem to like pregnancies that seem to be going the same as the first one. So say you're having a second child, your first pregnancy was like, great. Should we get a doula for the second one? If everything's going well and you feel confident or what are your thoughts on that? Totally. That's a great question. Some people are like, I mean, I've done this, right. They just come out. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yes. Yes. You should get a doula because every birth and every baby is different. Like I said, in the beginning, this is this baby's only chance to be born. And what that means is that this birth, even if it's a lot of the facts are, you know, I've had moms who are like, "Mm, every baby, I usually go to about 41 weeks. My labors are about eight hours, like, bah, bah, bah. Um, There are things that will be different because it is your body's different than it was the last time. This is a different baby. And, um, you know, that the part that we keep talking about, which is the emotional support and the nurturing and the love just like the hug you got yesterday isn't <laughs> like you can't feel that today. <laughs> the nurturing oh, and love so and support you got with your last birth isn't going to be Carry present. You. Yeah. This birth. So, oh, that's so good. Yes. Okay. So I have two final questions for you, but they're kind of big ones. And I feel like we have to talk about them, even though I know this is long, but you're too good to let go. <sighs> okay. <Mom>. So, <laughs> I have a lot of feelings on postpartum healthcare, which I know you know. Um, Anyways, I, my experience was that it was totally sucky and I have a feeling that's probably how it is for most people. I hope not, but I think that's probably the case. Oh gosh. Are there things that you or our own doulas, people out there can help them prepare for? Because Maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like not only is postpartum healthcare really 
kind of crappy, but postpartum is hard. Yes. Like, I feel like it, it has to be hard for everyone, right? Or are there some people uh, who it's not hard for? And they're, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there are some people that it's not hard for. Um, I've had a couple, but I think that the people, well, I'm sure that there are some people that like, yeah, like breastfeeding is easy and my body doesn't hurt that much. And like, relatively speaking, it's smooth. I don't think that a transition of that magnitude can ever be easy. Um, I don't think so either. And right? it's, it's so many things. It's like, especially if it's your first, it's mm-hmm. a whole different life. And if it's your second, then it's balancing multiple yep. children. And like your body is so different. <laughs> your body is different. And yeah. like there's feeding and feeding is different with every kid. I imagine Oh my and God. like, there's just so many moving parts to it. That is exactly right. And you are so right that postpartum care in this country sucks. It is such a gap in the support that we provide. Um, and there are things you can do ahead of time to set yourself up for success. And actually, shameless plug, at the end of this week, my one of the episodes that we're, record, or we're releasing on my podcast is postpartum and expectations. And I think the title we landed on was the postpartum period when everyone's wearing a diaper. So you're going to get some great information um, about the practical stuff on what to expect from mom and baby. Um, Some things that help soften the blow of the transition. (laughs) Um, Education and information, trying to learn like it's so easy to get caught up in getting educated about the labor and birth. Mm -hmm. But the thing about that is that that part always ends. You always have a baby. Like you always give birth to the baby, even if it's a long one, but then you have your baby forever. So (laughs) right, (laughs) you're stuck with them, which is great, which is the best worst, right? Sometimes. (laughs) Um, So it is wise to start learning and getting educated about baby care. One of the things that baby care and postpartum mom bod care, mm. what to expect, what things like how long bleeding is going to last. The fact that a lot of people don't know this, but you have your baby and you're going to look like five to six months pregnant for a little while because mm-hmm. it takes about six weeks for your uterus to it's called uterine involution, the process of shrinking back down to about maybe a little bit bigger than where it started, but about the size of pre-pregnancy. Um, hopefully, uh, this is a big thing that I talk to a lot of families about is postpartum expectations. Um, so knowledge. If you have the means or the ability, get a postpartum doula. That is a huge support and somebody that is really meant to ease that transition and help with um, taking care of mom so that she can take care of baby and kind of filling in a lot of the gaps, right? And helping families learn how to take care of their babies. And that can look a lot of different ways, but look into postpartum doulas because it's a huge, huge help. Um, And then when it comes to kind of, I remember going to see you, I think the day after Ellie was born, the day or two, and she was in the NICU and you were like, it's like I'm chopped liver now. Like, <laughs> yeah. Right? They were like, get the heck out of this hospital. Like, I, yeah. I hope this is unique 
to my situation. And I feel like in some cases it might be just because my baby wasn't in the room with me and I wasn't like stuck in my room. But I saw a nurse one time in 24 hours after giving birth. One time. Isn't that crazy? Like I could have died. I mean, I was in a, I'm still in the hospital, so I think someone probably would have noticed, gee, she's hemorrhaging out on the, on the NICU floor and, like, taking care of me. But, you know, there yeah. were a lot. I text you a lot after that. like, Which is great, but hopefully you have a doula that you can ask questions to if yeah. you don't have a nurse that's giving you information. And I would also say, you know... For those of you guys who don't know Elliot's birth story, it's on it's on YouTube. I'll direct you. But we were transferred hospitals, and when we were released from the second hospital, we had to sign off on all of the paperwork that you'd get, even if you birthed in that hospital. Oh, really? I didn't know. So this. I got their postpartum like checklist care sheet, and it was very different than the one I got in San Diego. Yeah. Like even down to like how much you should be bleeding, like things like that. Like more information? Not more information, but different. Like what? Right? Yeah. (laughs) And there, I mean, I'm the first one to say like this birth stuff is a soft science in a lot of cases, right? Like it's imprecise business sometimes. Um, And there are ranges of of what's normal. But the crazy thing is that, and I know we talked about this, like, unless you, a lot of times, there are amazing postpartum nurses in different hospitals have different um, procedures around this. But a lot of times, unless you ask, like, hey, exactly how much is normal for me to bleed? Hey, like, unless somebody has told you that you might pass a golf ball sized clot of blood out of you, and that yeah. that is within the range of normal, that could really, like, That's a shocker. scare <laughs> the hell out of you, Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so and I believe that I sent you that text in graphic detail. <laughs> yeah. Girl, if I had so, a dollar for every time I've gotten a picture of something that came out of somebody. Yeah. Like, would you, so this just came out of me. Uh, <laughs> what's happening? Um, yes. The, this is, gosh, there's just so much room for improvement here. Um, postpartum doula. Oh, breastfeeding support. You had a different experience, right? Being in the NICU, but oh my gosh, breastfeeding. I have so much, so much to say about it. This could be a whole nother podcast, right? Mm -hmm. Um, What I'll say here briefly about how to get prepared for breastfeeding. I hear a lot that like, oh, it's natural. They'll just pop right on. So it'll be easy. (laughs) I don't know where in our culture we got, we got it twisted that natural means easy because it doesn't. So good. Sometimes it is straightforward. I bet, I don't know, 60 to 70% of the time though, the moms that I have have some kind of initial challenge with breastfeeding. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it is like really on the severe spectrum and they can't breastfeed or whatever. Most of the time it's those first days and couple of weeks where you guys are learning to do this thing together and it's hard and you're exhausted and your butt hurts and your boobs are huge. And maybe you just had a golf ball clock come out of you. And so you're not at your peak performance, you know? And you're like sweating, like yeah. sweating profusely. Yeah. And I'm so, <laughs> so glad that my acupuncturist mentioned that to me. She was like, you should drink ginger tea to help with the sweating and your hormone regulation. Because yeah. when that happened, I was like, am I dying? Like, why am I sweating so much? And then I remembered her saying that. 
Yep. That's such a good one that people don't talk about. Like you have a third more blood. I think it's about a third. Your, your blood volume in pregnancy increases by one third. As soon as you have that baby, everything starts regulating back to normal and all the hormone changes and you're losing fluid by design. So you're probably peeing a ton. You're sweating like a beast. Like it's just yeah. a lot. It's, it's a lot happening. It's a lot, a lot of yeah. things. And um, yeah, just a lot, a lot of things. And I feel like just as a nation, we could be better at helping people with, oh my gosh. with yeah. all of the things. And now a big part of postpartum is potential mood disorders, I believe they're called. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, most commonly known as probably the postpartum depression, but I'm, I see a lot about postpartum anxiety, a lot. And I would say that like, I'm pretty sure that I had extreme postpartum anxiety for like a few months. Yeah. Um, but not immediately postpartum like months down the road. And would you be able to shed any light on these sorts of things or like how to know if maybe we need help or where to find that help or like, I mean, I feel like it's normal to be anxious about having a new baby to an extent. You're exactly right. There is, um, as you mentioned a few minutes ago, that huge transition and shift physically, emotionally, there are feelings. And like your hormones totally and your hormones affect your mood. They really do. (laughs) Maybe more than anything else. Um, Yes, I can shed a little bit of light on what is now known as postpartum mood disorders or perinatal mood disorders is I think Mm. a more appropriate term because there are a lot of misconceptions. One of those is that you can actually get a perinatal mood disorder. So that includes um, depression, anxiety, OCD, and actually on the very severe end, psychosis. Mm-hmm. Um, you can get those things during pregnancy or up to, it's I think two years postpartum is still considered a perinatal oh, wow. disorder. It might be one year. I admittedly am not a, a super expert on this, but um, it is at least a year you're considered postpartum. So, well, forever, you're after you have a baby. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So most people just know about postpartum depression. And so when you're talking to women about, do you think you have signs of this? And they'll say, no, I'm not depressed. Like I'm anxious and I can't stop having intrusive thoughts about all the bad things that might happen to my baby, but I don't feel depressed, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, It's really important for people to know that, like you mentioned, anxiety and OCD and depression are common or are are part of that perinatal mood disorder. Um, There is an important distinction between baby blues, which a lot of people experience in the first, usually it can start within a couple days of birth and is sorted out or kind of gone by the couple weeks following birth, that's baby blues. So um, that would, that's kind of that period of your hormones are all over the place. You're trying to regulate. There might be a lot of crying um, or or periods of like elation and then weepiness, um, exhaustion, feeling overwhelmed, but kind of on a, on a low level and then it should resolve after a couple of weeks. That's kind of classic baby blues, which is a very common thing. Um, postpartum, the more, the more severe stuff 
usually or can present even like it might not even start until months postpartum. So Mm -hmm. you sound like you kind of had that experience. I know I've had women who three months or six months of like being fine and doing well are all of a sudden showing symptoms of these things. So Mm -hmm. the biggest thing is no, you're not alone. New, new parenthood can be so isolating, especially when you are in your stuck in your own mind with all of these thoughts that might be kind of scary. Um, a lot of guilt and shame can come with that. I know I've had uh, a lot of clients experience things like intrusive thoughts. So like they're walking down the street, uh, you know, pushing their baby in a stroller and they just have the thought of like, well, what if I just push the baby out in front of that oncoming car? Mm-hmm. And it's not because they want to do that, but it's an intrusive thought of, oh my God, what if that happened? So there are a lot of things that a lot of women are experiencing and nobody is talking about. And I like to like pull the covers on that stuff so that you don't feel alone because mm-hmm. shame and guilt um, thrive in, in darkness and secrecy. Um, yeah. So get help early, talk to your care provider. Hopefully you have a good maternity care provider, whether doctor, midwife, who can guide you with treatment options and resources. I know for me, I have a list of um, good therapists that work with women that specialize in this, this or work with families, I should say, um, during this time of life. So get local, tune into the local support networks in your area and hopefully get um, names. And it might even be good to get names of people you can call before you have your baby, just in case you need them. Mm. Uh, because the worst time I say this about breastfeeding too, but the worst time to be on Google looking for help is when you're sitting there crying, like with your boobs out and your nipples cracked <laughs> and your baby's yes. crying, right? <laughs> That's an ideal. Um, oh, yeah. And then there's a really simple tool assessment tool that is very commonly used called the Edinburgh postnatal depression scale. And I think it was um, like late eighties, they came up with it and it's just a 10 question assessment that women can like go online complete the pre- I think they even recommend the pregnant or postpartum woman should complete it and score it herself and so each response you get points for and I believe it's <clears throat> if a woman scores over 13 um that they are likely suffering from some kind of mood disorder so It's not a diagnostic tool. It's just an assessment and can be a very helpful and easily accessible tool for families to use as a starting point. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, Wow. I really feel bad that we kind of ended on a, like a (laughs) serious depressing note. Um, But is there anything else you want to add about any of the things we talked about or something we didn't talk about or... Um, I think just, just for the sake of bringing it back up to a high note, but also in general, like no matter how or when or where you have your baby, you are so amazing for building and birthing a human. However that looks and however it works, um, you should feel really amazing about that. And if you are a person supporting a birthing woman, you have a super important role in that too, whatever that might look like, family, friend, partner. So 
just love on each other. <laughs> awesome. Thanks so much for coming on. I'm so happy that this finally worked out. Yes, you're so, <laughs> so welcome. happy to share you with everyone. <laughs> this is amazing to talk about this stuff. I'm, I have been looking forward to this for a while, so I'm honored to be here. Yay. And I will, of course, leave everywhere you can find Allie in the show notes. So definitely don't hesitate to check out all of her amazing work. Thank you guys for tuning in. As always, if you want to keep chatting about this topic, head over to the Non-Toxic Pursuits Facebook group. I hope that you enjoyed the show. And if you wanted to leave a rating and review that would in iTunes, that would totally, totally make my day. As I mentioned, all of Allie's links to Birth Queens, definitely check that out, as well as her personal doula and photography work are in the show notes. And thank you guys so much for tuning in.